everyone, and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast that took a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 masterpiece and is now setting sail into uncharted waters to discover the world beyond Jaws. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm Sarah Buttery, and we have a returning guest this week uh, to talk about uh, the film that we're discussing this week, which is USS Indianapolis colon, Men of Courage, which is how I will call it for the rest of the podcast. Thank you. Um, returning, <laughs> returning guest, Chris Hood. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you very much for having me back. I hope you don't regret it too much in about an hour and a half's time. <laughs> we were just discussing off mic about who has prepared the most for this episode. And that, as you will probably become clear, it is Chris. It is uh, hands a, down Chris. A plus, A plus student. He's done the homework more than is ever required. But, uh-huh. you know, we also expect nothing less, I feel. Like, you probably need to see a psychiatrist, given the number of times I've seen this film this week. But... <laughs> I can only apologise. But I mean, I watched it once. I was a one and done. I was like, I'm not even going to give this a second watch. So, uh, yes. You barely <laughs> made it through the first watch. <laughs> I watched it. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Chris, as returning guest, you also get the returning guest question, which is, which ill-advised animal would you like to hug, given the opportunity? Wait, before Chris answers, the way you worded that question made it seem like the animal's (laughs) existence was ill-advised. Oh, no, as in, like, the hugging of the animal is (laughs) ill-advised. Okay, so as an academic... I thought it was very important that I spend a lot of time overthinking this question for most of the last (laughs) week or so since you reminded me that I was going to be coming on to this episode. Um, I I mean, obviously, we're not meant to be hugging any animals, right, unless they come to us. So my initial thought was to just say something quite nice and logical, um, something like a seal. I've got a friend who says, whenever you're feeling down, just picture a seal and you'll start smiling. I thought, yeah, that's kind of good, but it felt too obvious. And unfortunately, once I had the word obvious in my head, I went even more obvious and thought, sea otters, they're so cute and cuddly. And then I remembered that doesn't actually answer the question because these are meant to be ill-advised ones. (laughs) So I then took a step back and remembered that for um, a present earlier this year, my son got me a sponsorship for a shark. You know, it's for it's with a company called Farlow and everything, and yeah. you can track your shark. I have a hammerhead shark called Babu, who is my the one that I'm tracking. I can see where he is, she is, it is. I don't know how they identify themselves, they are. Um, <laughs> so part of me thinks it would be nice to go to just off the coast of the Florida Keys and then go and hug this hammerhead shark. But this is Jules for a minute saying shark is too obvious. It's boring. <laughs> so I thought, no, I need to overthink this some more. So I then thought, well, I support the Hanshin Tigers baseball team. I support the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe I should say a Bengal tiger. Mm-hmm. And then again, I thought that's still too obvious. And so in the end, my final answer was that uh, my daughter's favorite animal and I also have a picture of this animal on a little book, which I use for sketching um, as well, would be to say a rhinoceros. And that's the answer I'm going to stick with, I think. They, there's something about them. I, I think, I don't think people give them enough love. They look grumpy all the time, and especially those walking ones, which they had in Doctor Who, they just look grumpy as well. I just think they need a bit of love, a bit of hugging. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So that was a real go. journey. I enjoyed it. It really was, yes. And um, thank you very <laughs> yeah. much for joining everybody. And it's sure the clock yeah, somewhere. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's See ya. The... Uh, <laughs> uh, Show me the way to go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... Uh... <laughs> some zoo over there i have a co-worker who's going to the uk for uh like post christmas vacation ish and they are doing a rhino encounter at one of the zoos out there mm-hmm. yeah you can do or, that yep 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 which we don't I think have it's probably, at the zoo. i think it's probably to feed it rather than hug it sure yes <laughs> i think there are probably <laughs> limits to how much the encounter is allowed but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's one of the things on their list. They were like, I'm going to go I'm gonna go feed a rhino. And I was yeah. like, oh, that'll be fun. It's not the obvious thing that you think of when, what do you, what would people do when going to visit the UK? Will I go to Buckingham Palace and see the monarch? <laughs> no, no, no. Feed a rhino. That's definitely the thing you do when you go to the United Kingdom. See that yeah. well-known indigenous animal of Northern Europe. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. Yeah. I, I mean... I would love to hug a rhino. I think they're very cute. I don't know, yeah. Chris, if you're watching the latest David Attenborough Planet Earth series. I haven't yet, those. Not, no. But the the most recent episode, it had like it was all about animals that were pretty much in places where animals should not be, so they're like getting too close to humans. Mm. And there was this rhino just strolling down a high street, and I was like, I can't. I mean, it wasn't in this country, obviously. It wasn't mm-hmm. like walking past Greg's or yeah. something. But mm-hmm. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, it was just walking past these people. And he wasn't, like, trying to hurt them or anything. He was pretty chilled. He was having a mm-hmm. nice time. But I thought when I saw that clip on the trailer, I thought it was CGI. I thought they'd, like, yeah. put this rhino in, like, a busy like yeah. a busy city or something. But it was real. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that rhino well, I mean, should not be there. <laughs> as, you know, I, as you know, I deal with Japan a lot in my research and uh-huh. teaching mm. and everything. And they've got a real problem at the moment with bears and wild boar coming into the towns and cities. Um, mm. This year has been the worst year for year for bear attacks in a long, long time. And part of it's because the climate change, the autumn this year has been so late, they can't get the berries. And so they've decided to go to 7-Eleven like the rest of us and so on. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if, if, if maybe I need to go back and rethink my overthought already answer and say bear or wild <laughs> boar, because actually that could actually turn out to be quite possible the next time i go to japan <laughs> yeah, yeah uh there was um yeah much the same way on the, the i i i traveled for the thanksgiving holiday and uh decided to stay very on brand and on my flight back watched a documentary about sharks um nice. it's called after the bite and it is a it is essentially like so it's about Cape Cod, which is roughly where Jaws takes place. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I've been to Martha's Vineyard. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a fatal shark attack in 2018. And mm. it is essentially a documentary about the community dealing with the fallout of that and taking measures to protect the citizenry from shark attacks while also not scaring them too much about sharks. Yeah, I mean, the right? beaches are still open, right? Yeah. right yeah yeah they are but then it's like they have shark spotters and if they spot a shark they have to close the beach for 45 minutes so that the shark can swim about 45 minutes is like three weeks <laughs> yep and it's the, that doc it plays like ex- I mean, it plays like what what if jaws was real because they're like it yeah. sits in on town hall meetings where the city council is trying to decide what to do about the economic impact of the but they all also brought in people from 
shark conservation institutes that like mm-hmm. are there to present <laughs> the science behind it and um then towards the end it gets towards the like climate changey stuff and you know about how one that that this can be a a spreader of disease right so like Mm -hmm. sharks aren't really native to those waters really Mm -hmm. and so they're coming up because it's it's just that it's colder up there right Mm -hmm. and or it's and or sorry it's getting warmer up there which is unseasonable yeah and uh but there's like sharks carry like a specific strain of flu that hasn't transferred to humans yet and they are they show them going and like testing the seals to see if the flu is spread to the seals and it has and so they're like well now it's starting to jump species like when is like when are we getting shark flu essentially and it's like this is not yeah this is happening because not again of all this yeah. Yeah, you're, you're just you're always the bearer of such great happy news yeah <laughs> this is what we all tune in for every fall yep. now shark demic shark demic that's probably a f- oh, bird demic is a film bird demic uh, is a new, yeah. i think we can see there's gonna need to be a movie to be covered on patreon episode at some stage yeah. someone <laughs> so, someone is they, they are already out there filming this they, they listen to this recording go we're out there we we've got the title yeah we'll we'll figure out the storyline as we go along <laughs> shark demic it's happening mm. um yeah it was so funny when you were watching that um that documentary i think you were messaging me like from the plane yeah, so it was the plane was like the plane was like if you go to this website and connect to our Wi-Fi, you can use WhatsApp on the plane. And I was like, well, I'm bothering Sarah the entire time. <laughs> You're the only person I know on WhatsApp. And also, like, you were telling me what you were watching and describing it, and I was like, MJ, are you just watching Jaws? <laughs> like, yeah, because it sounded like so. Everything you were saying was like, oh, that this actually does happen. Right, like it's it's, yeah. just as well you were watching Jaws rather than watching Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, given the, <laughs> given the everything yeah. scene in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I started Very trying. Good point. I, I don't know if I told you this, Sarah. the The first thing I watched at the beginning of my journey was actually Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Right, and I fell You're asleep like... six minutes in, and I was not tired. I've yet to watch it, and that may be a statement that I carry through until my deathbed. Yes. Yeah, I, I was just like, is it two and a half hours of whatever this is? Because I, I hate this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hate this. It is, yeah. man. That the the ghoulish de-aged Harrison Ford with the Harrison Ford present day old man voice coming through it was That's the worst the worst i hated everything about that yeah not a fan i've yeah. yet to watch it also but I, I think it comes to disney plus like this week so yeah, i was gonna I say it's probably gonna yeah. hit disney plus by the time uh by christmas by christmas to, to ruin sense. people's christmases yeah all right yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> i will it will probably be on because martin is like i don't know i think it's just morbid curiosity i think he's just like oh i'll watch it so it'll probably just be on in the background while I'm doing other stuff. So yeah, uh, I might commit I to it once it. it's on Disney Plus. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. The people I'm staying with have already seen it and they also hated it. So I probably won't get to it until I get back from holiday. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of films that we may or may speaking not of hate, indie, well, <laughs> we'll get ways. That was a much better segue. Um, we are talking this week about USS Indianapolis, colon, Men of Courage, uh, which, what year did this film come out? That's the one thing I didn't write down. 16, yeah. 
2016. Um, it is a film about uh, something that we're, as Jaws fans, all pretty familiar with, um, which is the USS Indianapolis disaster, which, as we all know, Quint's whole monologue about. Uh, this film is... It's a film. Uh, the synopsis. Uh, during World War II, an American Navy ship is sunk by a Japanese submarine, leaving 890 crewmen stranded in shark-infested waters. It is directed by Mario Van Peebles, star of Jaws the Revenge himself, yep. the MVP. Uh, and it stars Nicolas Cage, <laughs> Nicolas Cage, Tom Sizemore, Thomas Lane, Matt Lanter, Thomas Jane, Itaka. Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane, not Thomas Lane. That's just my autocorrect. Uh, Itaka Takafu, Takuchi, Takuchi? Takuchi, yep. <laughs> I was supposed to be like, Chris, help. Um, and Adam Miller uh, and some other people as well. Uh, it has 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb. High. 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> uh, and 2.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Uh, yes. Chris. Over to you first, as our esteemed guest and uh, also somewhat, I always call you somewhat of an expert, but somewhat of an expert on these <laughs> these things. What did you think about USS Indianapolis colon, Men of Courage? Oh, hey, before <laughs> I say anything about the film, building upon your comment about me being some sort of about, expert about something, I don't know really what it is. Um, I thought maybe I should try and provide a little bit of context. So for a couple of minutes, both of you, just try and remain silent while I do something about that, while I try to explain what happened to the USS Indianapolis. Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into their side, MJ. It was coming back from the island of Tinian to Leyte. Just delivered the bomb the Hiroshima bomb. 1,100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shot for about half an hour. Tiger, 13 footer. You know how you know that when you're in the water, MJ? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. Well, they didn't know. Because their bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. They didn't even list them overdue for a week. Very first light, MJ, the sharks came cruising. So they formed themselves into tight groups. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see on a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo. The idea was the shark comes to the nearest man and then he starts pounding and hollering and screaming. Sometimes the shark would go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you and those black eyes roll over white and then, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming the ocean turns red. In spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in. They rip you to pieces. You know, by the end of the first dawn, they lost a hundred men. We don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand. 
We don't know how many men. They average six an hour. On Thursday morning, MJ, Quint pumped into a friend of his, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland, baseball player, bosun's mate. Quint thought he was asleep, reached over to wake him up. He bobbed up and down in the water, just like a kind of top, upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, Miss Buttery, a Lockheed Ventura saw them. He swung in low and he saw them. He was a young pilot, a lot younger than Miss Buttery anyway. He saw them and he came in low. And three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and starts to pick them up. That was the time Quint was most frightened, waiting for his turn. He said he'd never put on a life jacket again. So 1,100 men went into the water. 316 men came out. The sharks took the rest. July 30th, 1945. Anyway, they delivered the bomb. There's the context. Farewell and adieu. Absolutely. I, 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 was, I was half expecting you to say, what's that sound? To which, yeah. I, was gonna, to which I was going to reply, Moby Dick. But anyway. Show me the way to <laughs> Just, yep. just as Beautiful. a little aside, and I think you can edit bits out and everything. Um, so as you can tell, I adapted the Quint speech and everything. I've actually turned it into a JPEG file, which I will find a way to share with you guys, should you like to have a copy of it. So I've sort of put your little profile pictures on it and so on. So a little Christmas oh, so present. Cute. Thanks. I'm not sure I'm if it will, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if I can put images into chat on this, we're using Zoom today. I'm not sure if it can cope with images, can it? Uh, no, you might have to. No, I don't think guys. So, I'll, I'll figure out a way of sharing that to you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I, I guess we should talk about the film, really, shouldn't we? Oh, yeah. do we have to? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I... Okay. So uh, before you get started, what I will say, uh, I'll tip my hand and go, like, I'm not going to fully go out of turn. I did not like this movie really at all, but. Uh, I did, like, I was so tired by the time it ended, but I, like, it ended and I was like, that sucked. I really want to watch the Indianapolis speech again to, like, clear my conscience of this film. Mm -hmm, and yeah. I didn't do that, so I'm glad we got it before we jumped into this movie, <laughs> which is not good. Anyway. There you go. We'll come so back. So I, 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 I re-listened to the Indianapolis speech a few times this week to try and get a little bit of the spirit, but I'm not an actor, and but I thought it would be nice to sort of set the scenes on because, I mean, we'll come back to this in due course, but I counted either 12 or 13 Jaws references in this movie. Um, <laughs> there are also lots of references to Titanic and also Under Siege. Um, but anyway, um, so I've watched this film a few times before even this week. Um, and I please don't scream and shout at me. So first, first of all, I have to put my cards on the table, and I know MJ. We're probably going to have a difference of view on this. I'm not a Nicolas Cage fan. Sure, but it turns out there's quite a few Nicolas Cage fans. Page movies I don't mind, and I'm sorry this one falls into that category. Um, mm -hmm. There are lots and lots of things I do not like about this film. And 
There's another film called Mission of the Shark, which is based on the same story. That was a TV movie. I, at the moment, my ratings on IMDb, and I know we've, you've discussed ratings on another episode and stuff, sure. and I, I agree with what you say. I mean, I have this problem with my ratings on iTunes that mm. I give, I do give things stars, but like if you give a pop song or a rock song five stars and you give a piece of classical music five stars, that doesn't mean when you want to listen to five star music, you want both of those to get the same time. You, <laughs> you have different yeah. moods. Yeah. They're different types yeah. of five star. Um, maybe I'm putting this film into a slightly different category to the other ones and so on, but um, I actually gave this an eight on IMDb. Wow. Um, I could be persuaded to go down to a seven, which is what I gave Mission <laughs> of the Shark, but I find it entertaining i like certain aspects of it despite all the horrible things which are wrong with it whether it be historical errors continuity errors um i mean let's just rewind five minutes or so 2016 we agreed was the date so why is the cgi from 1984 it Good is Lord. horrendous it it looks like it's from a computer game in the 1990s at yes. best yeah, it is absolutely <laughs> dreadful. Um, yeah. It's it's got st the love stories arc thing did not do anything at Doesn't all. Doesn't work. The film, in my opinion, they should they should they should have edited that out. And I think if you edit it out mm -hmm. and you deal the CGI, there's actually stuff which is really good. But once you've done those two things, you've actually ended up with Mission of the Shark, which is the TV movie version. So yeah, mm. I can see why a lot of people would say they prefer that one over this one, but. There are still things which I find are actually kind of watchable about it. And yes, I watched it three times this week, but through a particular <laughs> lens, but I could imagine times where I just put it on for the hell of it. Um, mm. But maybe I think it's also the associations that we do that because of our common interests, <laughs> we will, um, even if we're watching this film, our mind is wandering off and picturing Quint yeah. and Jaws. <clears throat> and so we're effectively whilst this film with or without colon is playing on the screen in our eyes we're actually seeing jaws go past our eyes yeah 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 i i think interestingly i sit somewhere in the middle of you two i don't think i hated it as much as mj i don't think i enjoyed it as much as you chris there were the the effects in it are terrible let's just say that out the gate and like it, it from the start as well because the first like opening sequences of these planes um attacking a, a boat i think and it just oh god it just looks awful 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 um the sharks i think they use some real footage because yeah, there were bits that like looked it, yeah yeah, it looked yeah really there were bits that looked good and then when you use when you use some real shark footage and then not real um it makes the battle it makes the like fake sharks look really bad and yeah. i think that like this jaws 3d film... well yeah quite <laughs> i think this film could learn some lessons from jaws in that less is more mm -hmm. i think it would be so much more effective if you barely saw those sharks like a fin going past someone is enough and then someone just disappears like that's that's the level it needs to be in this i did like that it went there with the gore sometimes like the guy who is just like clutching his leg right, right really gross and there were some shots of kind of like injuries and and things that didn't shy like shy away from showing the gore and i thought that was good 
there is a good film in this and when i when i don't I enjoy a film completely i always like try and think like well how would i fix this rather than just kind of like laying into something and being like it sucked i and originally i was like skeptical when it i thought it was going to end when they got back home and then suddenly there's like a half hour courtroom drama on the end or as i called it in the text to mj a few good sharks <laughs> which is really stupid <laughs> no, <that's good. laughs> really, you did not acknowledge really my stupid. response to that which is you can't handle the chum I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> giving you the chance to say it on the episode. That's yeah. Why. <laughs> okay. I was um, wondering. I, it was like, the, that was one of the first things I saw when I woke up this morning. <laughs> and just, that was the first thought that entered my brain. You're welcome. Less yeah. than a minute after waking up. And I was like, uh, whatever that was is in the world now. <laughs> a few good sharks. Yeah. So I, I wasn't expecting that. But then I found myself quite engaged in that last bit yes. that last half hour mm-hmm. yep. so if i was to fix this film i would have it i don't i don't know how well this would work but i would have it as a courtroom drama with absolutely yep. um because it it's ripe for that right he's telling the story he's explaining what happened but instead what you get is this art and we see everything we see before we meet some characters so there's some stakes the romance plot which i hate and i could do mm-hmm. without and just remove totally. from the film and yeah. it'd be Didn't so do much better then the you know they deliver the bomb then obviously they get attacked then the stuff with the sharks then they come back and then it's like it literally shows like everything but it does it like so linear and i'm like play around with it a bit yeah go, 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 go christopher nolan's oppenheimer on it have some in black and white mix some in color right. mix it up do right. the case right yeah so, very much so yeah. yeah i think that's the, the <laughs> that's the biggest thing for me right is the other podcast i co-host real perspective one of the other podcasts i co-host real perspective <laughs> did our we did our oppenheimer a couple mm. things weird stuff this week right um we did our Oppenheimer episode, which means which last week. Everybody, everybody should listen to. I listened to it earlier today. It is excellent. <laughs> everybody should listen to that episode. Thank you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> which means I watched Oppenheimer last week. I also watched Godzilla Minus One last week. Uh, mm. I went. I made a trip to the theater to see that. It's excellent, by the way. But that film deals very directly with post-World War II Japan. Like, it is in the immediate aftermath of the war. Um, Mm -hmm. on the Japanese side. Um, And then also this last Thursday was Pearl Harbor Day. Um, And so it was just this weird confluence where I've like spent a lot of time in this specific Mm -hmm. era of of, uh, history in the last week. And I'm not like, I don't hate World War II, but I'm not like a World War II guy. That's not like one of my areas of, you know, uh, hyperfixation when it comes to history but it it's just it's happened that all, most of the media i consumed this week was about that and specifically about the bomb um mm. in particular and so i think watching oppenheimer last saturday for this and then watching this last night it is so, it is galling <laughs> the difference i mean i mean that's quite a double bill that's they right. don't go well mm. right and so it's just mm-hmm. like yeah but i've seen like i've kind of seen the ultimate film about the bomb right mm-hmm. and like i don't think we need another film about the just show oppenheimer forever right like no one's gonna make a movie better than that about that topic not and, about the test anyway yeah 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 exactly mm-hmm. exactly like i think there's obviously like, 
Godzilla minus one gets it obviously more from the Japanese perspective because it is a Japanese film. Um, but yeah. And so just seeing the way that is structured as a historical drama, but then also uh, because this is a Spielberg podcast, ultimately thinking about the war films Spielberg has made and just like this movie, despite the fact that it sometimes commits to the, the violence and the, the gore and not in like a, the way a horror film fa- fan looks at a gory film it this film feels like a half measure to me yeah it, as, yeah, it, it, it feels lazy it's it's yeah. like somebody thought if i take the one of the most famous monologues mm. from a most popular blockbusters in history do some nods to the highest gross one of the highest grossing films at that point titanic 1997 it's obvious that people are going to go rushing to the cinemas and watch this and it doesn't matter how well put together it is or not. Right. And it just doesn't hold up. It just looks like a lazy project. Yeah. And places. that's like, that was my big hang up with it is I was just like in the wake of something like Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. When you make a film that is about a horrific set of circumstances within history, not fully showing that it feels disingenuous to me at this point now. Where it's like, you know, um, I referenced this on an earlier episode. There's this excellent podcast episode from um, last podcast on the left. Uh, I don't love the tone of that show most of the time. This uh, this episode in particular, it is about the Indianapolis. Um, this episode in particular doesn't go as far as most of them do. There's a little bit of that that I still think they should edit, but it's not my podcast. Um, and... They get it out of the way mostly at the beginning, right? Like they even at the beginning of right because if you if you talk about the Indianapolis on any podcast, whether it's themed around this film or not, you're bringing up Jaws, right? And so they have to <laughs> at the beginning have to be like, all right, we get three for the entire episode for everyone, right? Like mm-hmm. because if not, this is it's the whole show, <laughs> and so um, you know I think they, we've they, used up all three already. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so they like they they do kind of self-regulate on that because the actual details of the story are really horrific beyond the shark attacks, right? Just the the oil on the people. And there's bits of that in here, but it just doesn't go and this like not I don't like I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. It does not go far enough with showing the horror that these men had to go through, I think. Like yeah. and it because of that, that feels almost disrespectful of like no, the thing that like the the 316 men that survived the odds they overcame are outrageous and like it's a miracle any of them survived let alone multiple hundreds of them and you know like the saltwater poisoning the blindness from the glare off the ocean that's like mentioned in lines but we don't see their bodies really deteriorate like i mean you know, once again, not trying to be gross, their skin was sloughing off in like sheets because of the mm-hmm. the salt water. Like, show me that. Not because I want to see it, but because that's what happened to these men. And I think not acknowledging it is weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they do little nods to it. Mm-hmm. I thought the bit that it did best was starting to capture the sheer monotony of just being stuck out there for days and days and days. I yeah. think it it was doing fairly well at capturing that. And I think part of that is why some people wouldn't like the film, which is also why I don't mind it. I'm very used to, from Japanese films in general, but particularly disaster films, tend to be quite slow. And so I'm used yeah. to that kind of pace. And I think that side of thing was necessary, but it did sort of just roll back and 
make it too squeaky clean in places. It's yeah. Well, and the movie's rated R, right? So like they can do it, right? So why yeah. make an R rated? Why... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why make an R rated movie about this subject and not go there? Like exactly. not full send it, you know that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That feels mm-hmm. that really stuck in my craw. That said, the courtroom stuff actually kind of works a lot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That was my that was my favorite part of Absolutely. of the film, and the most I sort of cared about mm-hmm. the characters, and it really does a lot to try and make you care about these characters yeah. in the beginning. Like, thing is though, as soon as you meet that guy. And, you know, the the two friends and they both love the same girl and the whole stuff with the ring and everything. You know that guy's going to die. Yeah, so, like, they're, they're doing it just so there's some stakes. And it's like, oh, of course, we want to root for this guy to get back home to his girl. You know he's going to die the second that you meet them. So it's just pointless. Like, yeah. I just don't, I don't need any of that. And if you start this at the end, if you start this with the courtroom stuff and then you go back and show, you can still get to know these characters and feel things for them and it has that problem as well of too many people and like not enough time to really care about the characters which yep. is one of our big problems with bait um and why we liked films like reef and open water so much is because like you literally have like a handful of people that you really care about because... i think a... i was gonna say that there's another issue in there i mean, picking up on something from um, mj's um, episode on real perspective of Oppenheimer. One of the great things about Oppenheimer is all the characters look very different. Yeah. And you can mm-hmm. tell who's who at any point during the film. Whereas I thought the squeaky clean guys in this film looked too similar. I was getting them confused. Mm-hmm. And then when they, after the sinking, some of the characters look so different, it took me a long time to realize it was the same character that we saw earlier in the yeah. film. And so I was just getting lost sometimes. And that's having watched it three times in the space of four or five days. So just watching it once, I could imagine people are going, what's going what? I get the same thing. Yeah, I I definitely had that issue where I was just like, who are these people and why should I care about them? Right. And like, you know, the structure of film you just described, Sarah, is saving Private Ryan. Right. Like it Mm. is it starts with (laughs) it starts with Private Ryan as an old man visiting Mm -hmm. Tom Hanks's grave and I mean, there's obviously, like, the twist in that movie, but, you know, seeing that through the eyes of an older person who's post the event, looking back on it, you still connect to that character, you still, and even, like, even Private Ryan, he doesn't show up until, like, what, halfway through the movie or something? Mm -hmm. Um, And you still get plenty of time to connect with him, right? Like... You still care about him. He's got that great scene where he tells the story about the 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 girl his brother was trying to have sex with in the bar, and like this is my favorite scene in the movie because mm. it like pauses and gives you like it gives you time to breathe with these characters and get to know them as people, right? And yeah. it's great. And this doesn't do that. It's just like it just like it just takes in stock characters from every other fucking war movie you've ever seen from the 1940s and puts them in this movie and it's like yeah i've seen this like i understand how this goes and like (laughs) even to what you said chris like there is a ton of titanic in this um and 
Titanic is a pretty by-the-book movie. Like, it's pretty straightforward. It has very, like, archetypal characters. But we spend enough time with them to care. And we don't do that in this. We're just given the, like, here's the setup for this character. You should care because the setup is familiar. And that's, Mm -hmm. like, that's the downfall of using, a a, like, a well-trodden convention is just giving you the setup and using it as shorthand as to why you should care about the character you can do that but give me a reason beyond that that lets me into their humanity yeah and Mm. i think the problem was that i end up caring for nicholas cage i would agree with that not because of what you know about the real person captain mcveigh because you've got the knowledge of this is a real person and in my case i've read about it i've seen the mission of the shark where i think the characters played better than cage does it you end up caring for the captain in spite of how it's played in this film rather than because of how it's played in this film. that's a good point yeah i it would be so much more interesting if it because it being a true story as well it just playing or you know, based on true true story, it's just like it playing out like so linear. It's just like, yeah, all right, I I could just read a book or the Wikipedia right. page or right. something. Like, show me something that's a little bit different. I, it would have been a a bold opening, but you could start it with Captain McVeigh's suicide and then kind of like work your way back from oh, there. Be a great start because for then you're like, oh shit, what drove this guy to do that? You go back to the court case. The court case can then flash back to what happens on the ship and you don't need to show as much stuff i don't even know if it needed to show like all of the stuff beforehand of them delivering the bomb you can get that context from you know or especially when they made errors especially when they made errors with it so i mean i don't know if you want (laughs) us to go into a segue either now or later on in terms of the number of historical inaccuracies but just let's go i'm ready So let's deal with the bomb one first Um, in terms of its delivery at Tinian Islands. We see a scene where the bomb has been taken off the ship. It's been put on the back of a lorry and then it goes along by the airfield and we see the Enola Gay. Mm -hmm. The word Enola Gay was not put onto that plane until many days later. It only got (laughs) painted on like a day or so before the plane flew to Hiroshima because Tibbet took it over so late on. So... It, pro- it may well have done in real life, gone very close to the actual plane that was used, but it would not have been called Enola Gay on that particular date and so mm-hmm. on. But these films, they're not documentaries. Right. I get why it did it the way it did. It's its a kind of nice shorthand nod, but at least for those of us who know about it, what I find right. scary is the number of people who have never heard of the Enola Gay who actually don't know what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and yeah. so on. That's what's scary. That's what makes it really frightening when you've got people like Putin doing what they're doing at the moment and all the rest of it, because so many people don't understand about these bombs. That's why I think the timing of Oppenheimer was absolutely critical, was to just try and remind people. I mean, there are bigger bombs than Trinity and Hiroshima and Nagasaki because the H-bomb and all the rest of it, but we've kind of, in a post-Cold War world, we've got a whole generation of people growing up not knowing about any of this stuff. Right. Um, right. But I did think it was so in terms of historic, historical accuracy, no, it shouldn't have been there. But equally, I wasn't sort of kind of against it as well, because I kind of I could see what it was trying to do with that particular yeah. one. Yeah, well, and then, you know, there's the meeting between McVeigh and the captain at the end of the film, which very much did not happen. <laughs> 
happen, right? Um, mm. Although they show that in also the mission of the shark. Oh, do they? Did that? Yeah. Did so that actually not, happen? Did they meet? It 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 may well have happened huh. in some context. The fact that both of them do it. Yeah. Plus also, both of them also um, have the bit where when the um, crate with the bomb has been put on the ship. Both of them have the idea that people were joking that it had uh, toilet rolls for General MacArthur. So mm. the fact that both of them have done that, either the 2016 one is doing a nod to the mission of the shark and sort of thinking, well, no one's ever watched that. We can we can use that gag because it's kind of funny. Right. Or actually that's one of the stories survivors have passed on and has got mm. documented somewhere. So yeah. may, maybe the captain did get to meet McVeigh at some stage after the trial. Mm -hmm. It seems as though from the text at the end that the captain of the... I mean, it's referred to as I-48, but right. technically it's, it would be pronounced E-58, uh, sorry, rather than 48. Um, it implies that he was in contact with the survivors and went Correct. to at least one reunion. Um, That's right, yeah. I mean, I do wonder how much English he actually could speak at the time of the trial. Um, it, would not, mm. it would not be necessarily standard for a captain of a submarine to have that much knowledge of English and then be able to converse with McVeigh, but... The fact both of them did it, whether one it's whether it's sort of mm. like one's just copied from the other, and well, and it, it could have also been correspondence a myth. too, right? Yeah. Like it, it could have been so, something like they were writing to each other, and then a letter, like, yeah, yeah. Which and happens. Then... I mean, I mean, the, the 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 guy who shot down my dad's um, plane. My my dad was a bomber pilot during World War Two. Um, um, in the 1970s, the person who shot down my dad's plane actually started corresponding with him, which was a little bit Whoa. bizarre. And and, well, and also included and included a painting he'd done of my dad's plane going down in flames as well. Good lord! Well, yeah, that's that wasn't post my dad was expecting. Yeah, I think <laughs> weirdly that brings me on to something that is like that I did like about this film in that it is very much trying to put across that these are human beings on yes, both sides absolutely. of this. And I, I wasn't expecting that because when this film started, it felt like so jingoistic and I was just like, oh, yeah. this film's going to be gross. Yeah. <laughs> like I was expecting mm. lots of flag waving and aren't mm. the Americans amazing and aren't the Japanese terrible, but there wasn't that. And I liked yeah. that we, they were a little, a little on the nose, but sort of moments like where we're on the Japanese sub and there's like a guy who's looking at a picture of his family and stuff. Mm. And it's like, yeah, these, the, is it the Kaiten? The Kaiten, yeah. the, the, yep. Yeah, the, and like the they had families too. Like they mm -hmm. didn't want to be in this situation necessarily. Obviously, like they knew what they're getting themselves in for. If you are a kamikaze pilot, or if you are to a degree. And the key thing is about a lot of these kamikaze and kaiten. By the end of the war, they are the elite because these Japan. It's it was on the point of defeat, as the is made pointed out in this film. Um, and Japan was suddenly trying to find anybody and everybody to do try this last bitch effort to try mm, and save. Right. And so the intelligentsia, which had, up to that point had been saved from getting used in the war effort, suddenly they became the ones who needed to be used to fly kamikaze or kaiten. So these were people who were studying at Tokyo Imperial University, and suddenly no longer have they got a future career as bureaucrats or politicians or leaders of industry, they're now going to be the ones who actually die rather than the ones who remain behind on the aircraft carrier or a submarine or anything like that. So um, the narrative which we have often heard about, these people were like, they were prepared to die in the name of the emperor. Recent evidence has come out, it suggested it's 
nothing like that at all. They were terrified. They did not want to yeah. do it. They were, and all the rest of it. Um, it's, I mean, it's a very different side. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. maybe at the beginning, right? Like the first handful, maybe, right? Volunteer. Yeah, that, uh, I, 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 I mean, the, there's yeah. obviously a few there, but yeah. once you run yeah. through those guys, you're not getting them back. So, exactly. But yeah, I, I think as Sarah says, this... It was one of the things that I think I ended up liking for the film, probably, mm -hmm. was these little comments like, um, I think early on, it's uh, war is good for business and business is good for America. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, they say we won the war. In my opinion, we'll really win the war when there is no more war. Little lines like yeah. that, I actually thought, this was clearly, I think, what the director really wanted to say. And maybe this wasn't really yeah. the film to do it in because there's too many other things to do with the Indianapolis story, particularly the baggage that most yeah. people would be bringing to it. Most people would be watching this film having seen Jaws. Correct. Yes. And so they're <laughs> expecting a certain different sort of narrative than the one that they started putting together here. Mm. And it is, I mean, yeah, the, it, I think it's clear that the director wanted to make a film that is kind of anti-war it is not saying that mm -hmm. any of this stuff is good it is not painting either side as the heroes because it's like even though you know title they're the, the men of courage or whatever they delivered a bomb that was incredibly destructive that right. you know killed a lot of people right. uh and even though the sort of the, the the chain of events after this led to the end of the war it's not sort of saying like this side bad, this side good. It's saying like war is bad. Like war is the thing right. that is bad in this. And I, I liked that it didn't dehumanize the, the Japanese by making them this sort of like faceless enemy that we never mm. see. It's just, I wasn't expecting to see as much of that side. And also I'm so glad that they actually spoke Japanese and not English because mm -hmm. just, just that little bit of authenticity. I'm just like, thank you. For not being 1941. There we go. That's yep. the mention of 1941 on this episode. Oh, you had to lower the tone, didn't you? I was, you? <laughs> you know, it was funny. I thought about 1941 when they were having the brawl outside the club. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and I thought about the, the extended yeah. uh, nightclub brawl in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stupid. Stupid movie. <laughs> Actually, there is some, they, they do speak. Actually, that was a whole discussion we had about 1941, wasn't it? That they speak Japanese but don't necessarily subtitle it, so right. they don't know yeah, what so, they're saying. Right. But yeah. again, that that kind of has the effect of being like, I don't need to know what they're saying, like because mm. whatever they're saying is, you know, evil Japanese stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the impression that you're getting. So, I, I think that the execution of this film is still quite clumsy. It doesn't get mm. everything right. But you look at the poster, you look at the title, you look at how this film starts, and I thought, oh god, this is going to be like mm -hmm. unbearable. Like I, there's nothing I hate more than war films that are like there is only one side to this whole thing. Yeah. Like obviously that's that's appropriate in some contexts, but I think when you're doing a film that's about this very specific thing you have to acknowledge that what the Americans were doing was delivering a bomb. Like, that's yeah. not something you can just ignore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it's a very important part of this. And, like, yeah, it's... It gets... I I could have had even more of that, that balance, to be honest. And, like, even though it may or may not have happened, that conversation between um, McVeigh and Tashimoto at the end... I, I actually really liked even for just like what it meant right as a dramatic uh, rather than touch yeah 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 whether that was exactly how the conversation 
went down or whatever but it's just kind of like they know what the other has done they know what the other is responsible for they know they were on opposing sides of this but they are seeing the wrong here is him McVeigh taking the blame for it when he shouldn't and Hashimoto was willing to sort of go into what would be a pretty hostile place for him and sort of say like no it's not this guy's fault yeah well and you know also he has that great line where he's like you know as men i hope we can forgive ourselves right like it was like Mm -hmm. hey you may not be you may not be able to forgive me but like and i get that right like there's this this implication of like i would understand if you did not want to forgive me i understand like fully understand that but hopefully you can find it somewhere in you in you to like forgive yourself because i need to do that work as well like that's very like i feel like that's kind of the best you can hope for for two men on opposing sides of a combat situation right and i think there's a certain irony i mean obviously this is a true story rather than Mm -hmm. um fictional characters but when you look at the trajectory of the two captains and given the usual tropes and stereotypes cliches we have for countries it's the american who takes his life and it's the japanese person who turns to religion which is the complete flip of how we normally find things and Mm -hmm. it's i think uh, these are the sort of things which the film could have done so much better to explore and so on um and i think even with the talking about the kamikaze i mean it it showed i mean i thought the whole kamikaze thing was interesting because it showed how terrifying it is on the receiving end Mm -hmm. To a certain degree, it pointed to the how ineffective it was as well, that generally these planes did very little. Mm-hmm. Um, but given the rest of the message of the film, I feel as though it could have done a little bit more rather than just, I mean, we, we have that bit where McVeigh is talking to his wife and sort of saying how different things are when the your opponent just doesn't mind losing your life, which I thought was a nice, maybe a little nod to sort of 9-11 and all the rest of it as well. It's just like, right. there was there was more it could have done. Um, and I think I was particularly aware of this because um, many years ago, I went and visited the USS Missouri in um, Pearl Harbor and went on a tour of that ship mm-hmm. and um, was shown the bit on the ship, which has got a tiny dent where the ship was hit by a kamikaze plane. And the person doing the tour was explaining how when this plane hit the Missouri, it just did this minimal damage. But the Japanese pilot was killed. And then Missouri sailors spent the whole night stitching together a Japanese flag so they could then bury the sailor at sea within the Japanese flag. And it's just that that's a sort of human element, which I think would have really fitted so well into this film at one level, rather than just sort of going just the, the death and destruction and intimating that kamikaze does some damage to a ship i just felt given the rest of the message of the film they could have just done a little bit more there yeah and so two things one for a film that does an excellent job of that i think from what i remember letters from iwo jima um Mm. i really like that movie a lot clint eastwood yeah film um two now the so the indianapolis did suffer a surprising amount of damage from a kamikaze pilot, which is how it yeah, ended up in sh- San Francisco. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that initial kamikaze attack is mildly accurate, I guess, in that it yeah. it did that hit did cause like an 
inordinate amount of damage compared to most kamikaze attacks on things. Exactly, compared to most, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I mean, many of them didn't work. Um, I mean, I don't know if you want me to start talking about the whole theories about why kamikaze happened and want to go in a history lesson in that direction or not. Um, but I just felt it could have done more with that one. Just on the subject of the Missouri, by the way, just as a sort of nice little triangle. So um, the film Under Siege, where I think there's at least one or two references to that film within the one we are talking about, most of the filming of Under Siege was done on the USS Alabama, oh. which is also the ship they used for this film. Yep. Mm. And of course, one of the characters in this film is nicknamed Bama, Alabama. So there's <laughs> this little connection of bringing them all together and so on. But the Alabama looks very, very different to what the Indianapolis looked like. It's a yeah. completely different class of ship, and they don't even bother to try and make it look like the right one. So yeah. this is why the, when you flip between the CGI and the views of the ship, it's just like, this is two different ships. Yeah, but that's only if you're really <laughs> looking at detail and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I the bits where it was like very clear that they were using like a real boat, whether it looked like the Indianapolis or not, like was was fine. But then mm -hmm. it made like the shoddy CGI look even worse. Like the same with the that sharks. Was... Like they showed a lot of like the same bit of the the real shark footage that they had. And then you're like, I don't. This isn't. This isn't Ouija Shark. This isn't Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. I don't or Sharknado. I don't need to see this shark popping out of the water and like, it just it just feels that was one of the things I really disliked. And me being like, I love a shark movie was kind of like not looking forward to the shark bit because I know how awful what happened was. But yeah. it's kind of like, how yeah. are they going to do the shark bit? And right. then it just it just felt kind of cheap. I would just, whole movie feels like I cheap. said I, earlier, well, yeah, <laughs> the whole movie feels cheap, but I would have just preferred like if you hadn't, if you hadn't seen the sharks or you barely saw them, because I think then you don't have the problem of like whether the CGI looks wonky or not, but it's like, this isn't the sort of film that you're necessarily going into being like, I want to see some cool kind of shark right. death. I don't want to see that in yeah. this, like the idea no. of the sharks is scary enough and that's bringing it back to jaws because we always do that's why jaws is so effective because it's the idea of the thing that is more scary than actually seeing it like of course the moments that we do see the shark are scary or meant to be scary but it got it's so much worse where the bits where it's, you don't see it you don't know where it's going to pop up you don't know where it is or what it's going to do next like those are the bits that are frightening and you combine that with what is happening to these men which is as like delirium is kind of setting in and they're battling against all these other elements dehydration hunger the the sun the salt water all of these the other oil. things the mm. oil yeah you combine that with the fact that there are also sharks around fucking terrifying like yeah. that is mm -hmm. scary on its own yeah. like excuse yeah. my french you don't need to have like you don't then need to see this like rare shark coming up like i don't need that and that's someone who's like a big fan of shark movies yeah. saying that i don't need them <laughs> i mean i i spotted this i think i saw somewhere that this film cost 40 million dollars i want to know where that where? money went <laughs> It must have just gone into somebody's back pocket. I mean, yeah. when you compare it with some of the Nick other films, it's just like, what, what did they spend this money on? 
Yeah. Just, well, it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Although, I mean, well, I mean, I would say one thing. The person who put the music together, I like the music. The, the, the score for it, I think, is actually pretty good. And I, I'm pretty sure the score gets used elsewhere. There are times where I thought, I've I've heard this used somewhere else. Mm. Um, not necessarily in other movies, but maybe it's used for backdrops for certain TV programs or something where they're looking for a little bit of drama or something. But there's something about it just seems familiar. But... Yeah. Um, and to co- contrast that, Godzilla Minus One, budget of 15 million American dollars. The movie looks yeah, it's was, one of the best. I, I was movies. hoping you would come back to that. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, the, and that's the thing is like everything we're saying, right? And if you listen to the Oppenheimer episode of Real P, I bring it up on there too. But that movie is great. And it is from the Japanese perspective post-war. And it is such a great like view of, and the main character is a kamikaze pilot who did not complete his mission. And... Mm so he there's he's dealing with sort of the fallout of that right of being looked at with shame as a coward essentially because he he faked a malfunction to land on an island and then like this is it is a godzilla movie and it's weird to be talking about it with the you know with the films i've been talking about it with but it takes Mm -hmm. such a human stance on these on what a godzilla movie is that like you actually one you actually care about the human characters which is rare for a godzilla movie and Mm -hmm. two like godzilla is an extension of all of this stuff right more than he has been in a long time um and so it's like it's it almost feels to me as like a disservice to not include it in the conversation if it's something you can go and see right now especially when you have something that came out earlier this year that was also a massive hit oppenheimer that is about the bomb like it is bizarre what a great double feature those two movies are even though they couldn't be more different and you know i think also in the conversation that we've been having is Dunkirk, right? We've talked about like the ways you can play with the structure of this film in order to, you know, make it more interesting. And I don't really like the time dilation stuff that happens in Dunkirk, but uh, that is an interesting way to structure a World War II film that gives it a little bit of a flair, right? That is different, but it is not like disrespectful in the way it does it, right? It's just like here's three different timelines. This one's like a few days. This one's like uh, a couple weeks. This one's like a couple hours or whatever. Um, and that movie is, I do still have a problem with it being PG thirteen war film, like post post Saving Private Ryan. I don't think like I don't know. A PG thirteen war film does not do it for me, and. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think the sound design is properly loud, like in a in a in a mm. in a grading way, and I mean that as a compliment. Like that movie is oppressively loud, and sure uh, you know what war is oppressively loud. <laughs> you know, like when when you're getting shot at, guns are not quiet. And I remember leaving the IMAX screening of Dunkirk, like in kind of a bad mood with a headache because of how loud the the guns were and the bombs were mm. but also being like no that's one of the things i actually kind of liked about that movie despite mm. it putting me in a bad mood is that from a sound design perspective it actually kind of conveyed how like even a fraction of the way like how loud and like just oppressive a war can be um mm. Mm-hmm. when you're in it and like that's something i've never seen in a in a war film before as far as like a sound design perspective so i appreciated that but 
with this, once again, all feels like a half measure, Sarah. Like, <laughs> it's not, it's loud ish. Like, there's the mix was actually kind of cool. It used my satellite speakers a lot more than most movies, but like, it wasn't loud enough. And then, like, I had to crank my soundbar to hear it because of how low budget it was. And then, like you said, like the the shark part is like that is the part everyone knows because of Jaws. That is on paper like the and you know the in quotes sexiest bit of this right like that is the most sensationalized the thing that's easiest to sensationalize of like this man versus nature type of thing but then when you add in like we've been talking about the dehydration and the skin sloughing off and the blindness and the delirium and the fact that these guys were like assaulting each other like because through their delirium which we don't see at all really like we see a little bit of but not as not to the extent that it was happening you know we see the mirage people go off but like to not, you know, to not really lean into that is, I don't know. It still feels just like, uh, what are we doing here? Like, what? We mm-hmm. tell us the whole story, you know, and yeah. because this is like, this is set up to sort of be like the ultimate telling of this story, right? Like that, you can tell that is what they were going for. Is they wanted this to be the Oppenheimer of the USS Indianapolis story. And yeah. it's just so like languid that it's not, and it can't be. Yeah. And in the end, if people want, I think most people say, if you've got the choice of, other than a, a pure documentary, mm-hmm. if you want to understand the Indianapolis, what do you do? You watch the three minutes and 45 seconds in Jaws. Yeah. It's better than Mission of the Shark, and it's better than this movie. <laughs> yeah. You, uh-huh. you don't need any more anything more. It gets across the horror. Although, of course, Quint's story doesn't talk about the delirium and all the other stuff. Right. But you start to understand the enormity of the event. And, and it gets the desperation across. Yeah. 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 Properly. Absolutely. Like this, I don't know. This, it feels, the desperation in this movie from these men, like, this is going to sound weird. It just, it feels like they're acting it. You know what I mean? And we've talked about yeah. films like The Reef and Open Water where, like, the desperation of the actors feels real. Like even if they're not that good of an actor, like they they're 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 terrified acting is pretty good in both of those movies. And I, I felt as though by that stage it was trying to conflate too many issues. I mean, the film has got this anti-war message, which we talk about. Yep. It's also got this. I think it's trying to, for some reason, because I never think it works so clearly in American films compared to British things, trying to bring in a class element mm-hmm. as well, and then it's bringing in race. And it does all of this when they're, they're marooned out there. And it's you've got all these different things all happening at once, whilst at the same time they're meant to be becoming more delirious. And it's just too much going on. It just needed to dial it back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, it... I think it sanitizes it in a weird way as well. It's just kind of like it's all a little... Even though there are, like I said, those moments of gore, which are quite shocking there's they're few and far between i was actually surprised to hear this was Mm r-rated i was Mm -hmm. like what just because of the like the gore is that it i guess like there's not the language isn't that bad there's nothing else in it really that there's like a shot from a burlesque show at the beginning of the film like that's it oh yeah yeah Mm. um but yeah i it just just a little, little too clean like i i really want there to be a a film because let's face it i mean this is what we've spoken about in a lot of episodes but like those ethics of using a real story and dramatizing it everything about this is a good story like it's uh it 
is subject matter that makes for an interesting film. That's why it's such a compelling monologue in Jaws. That's why multiple films and documentaries and books and podcasts and God knows what have been made about this subject because it's everything about it is like, that would make a good film. And it does, but I, it just, it was all just a little too clean, a little too neat, a little trying to do too much and then not really saying anything i think the strongest thing that came across was the war is bad message which that feels like what the director was trying to accomplish so i guess in that sense the film has accomplished what it wanted to do but it's a it's a very messy way of delivering that and then when it when it finished i did enjoy that last half hour that was my favorite part of the film i don't not expecting that bit to be my favorite bit of the film no. either because by that point i was kind of like who is this film going to end soon? Like it felt very, very long. Um, but then when it showed um, some very, very brief, but it showed like a couple of clips of interviews with the survivors yeah. and like hearing, like I was, I, it made me feel really emotional. Yeah. I mean, I'm an emotional person anyway. I and cried even everything, actual, but I was footage, just... actual footage of the rescue yeah. as well, that black and white right, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then when you get the final credits going through, there was photographs of the crew and stuff like that. If you Incredible. wait, wait until the, towards the end, these were nice yeah. touches. If only yeah. they used that level of thought and care yeah. in the previous exactly. bit, then this this could have been such a great film. And that's the thing. I yeah. think that, that like <laughs> as much as I like that stuff, there was definitely like the majority, like the fifty-one percent of me, like there was the forty-nine percent of me who was like very emotional over that because it is an emotional story, and it was just like ink. I've never seen interviews with survivors of the Indianapolis before, and so it was like very, very, very compelling and like obviously, like I said, emotional. But the fifty-one percent of me was like, where was this the rest of the movie? Like, yeah. where, where was this level of thought and care and regard across the previous two hours and ten minutes? Like, you mean we could have been mm. having this the whole time? I mean, you know, and like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-dramatization of events or anything, but I was just like, well, this would have been way better as a documentary <laughs> then, like. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and though that bit at the end kind of only confirmed that for me, I was like, I haven't hated watching this. I haven't loved it, but to that be the most interesting thing and the thing that has stuck with me and the thing that I am still thinking about now to the point where I'm like, there must be other interviews with survivors. I want to hear it like in their own words. Yeah. Like I want to, I want to hear that. And I think there is now only like one survivor of the Indianapolis still alive. And I'm just like, oh, they've have we be really missed too. our? Yeah, yeah. I was it. like, have we really missed our opportunity to do this now and to have like a genuinely that footage exists of the rescue i couldn't believe when i yeah, saw that yeah. i was like holy crap that's incredible yeah. that 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 you can actually see it really happen it almost didn't feel like i was like that was real i was like oh you know what pissed <laughs> me off amazing. i watched this on hbo max and it cut to the like here's what you can watch next bit uh, yeah, yeah. when mm. I, and i was like no i was like go back and so i go like back. <laughs> yeah i went back i'm in the, i'm in the alternative way of doing this film I and mean, we've had the, the sort of you start with the courtroom or you start with mcveigh shooting himself the alternative is you start with the actual footage yeah and gradually oh. fade it from the black and white into color yeah and then sort of then hit the rewind button or whatever you could have started there's so many different ways it could have yeah. been done I why did i give this film version. an eight out of ten i didn't know <laughs> 
Perez, we've changed we've changed you over the course of this. But like, you, I mean, you, it would you, be... you guys have changed me in so many ways over the years. You've got a lot hey. to answer for. Stop. Oh wait, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. No, in good, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like you watch you watch a film now, and you're just like looking for all this insane detail, and yeah, that's am, that's yeah, a yeah. that's yeah. the LJ yeah. farm effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, when you watch a two-hour film, you're meant to watch it in two hours rather than hit the pause button every thirty seconds <laughs> and write notes. I mean, who knew? I know. Like when I watch a whole film now, I'm like, this feels wrong. <laughs> give me a minute at a t- give me a minute at a time. And that goes um, triple for Jaws. Every time I watch Jaws now, I'm just like. Oh yeah, I can do this. It feels mm-hmm. like I'm doing something illegal. Like when I watch all of Jaws now, I'm just <laughs> yep. like, I'm not. Gonna, I can't tell anyone about yeah. this. This is like. Do you feel scandalized sneaky. by the fact that you watch Jaws in one sitting? Oh, the whole the film. Way 99% of the rest of the world, 99.99999% of the rest of the world does. All the nines. Yeah, yeah. it's just us at this point. Yeah. I think, and the the LJ fan fam as well. Speaking but like the... of Jaws, oh, sorry, go. No, I was just going to say that the like it would have been interesting to see how they would have done it and it probably would have felt a little bit titanic as well but if they had started it with like the survivors and the real stuff and the documentary stuff and then like you said going then going back but yeah, there's but I mean, I copied titanic so many other times why not would they why not do it again <laughs> right, this time yeah I yeah uh, the... I just it's so much more like emotionally involving for me to be like that happened and be reminded of that first and kind of like the outcome again like it, you know showing what happened the 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 court case the it leading him to kill himself it's so tragic like it's just a it's such an awful like thing to happen and not getting exonerated until afterwards they 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 didn't and, do enough and e- on that and well. even that they did not clarify yep. so although he doesn't get exonerated until 2000 with clinton and so on his um, court martial was actually effectively overturned just a few mm. years later by um, Nimitz, and so he returned to active service and then retired in 1949. But it it, it glossed over that, and I think one of the things yeah. which I thought it also didn't handle too well was it didn't really show the passage of time from nope. the court case nope. to the to the suicide. It almost implied it happened quite close together, whereas actually. He went from 1945 until 1968, yeah. living with this torture of people, phone mm. calls, and just his own personal torment before he took his own life. Whereas the film almost implies it happens within a few weeks or months. It, I felt. Yeah, and it, it mm. the thing is, it implies that like, and I don't want to. I, I'm gonna. I want to tread carefully here. Um, I don't want to ascribe an in, like an intent to the man because I did not know him and his choice to do that. It implies that it was like mainly driven by survivor's guilt, right? Like it, it does mm. not give as much credence as it needed to that it was the hate mail he was receiving from the families because yeah. the mm. I'm gonna call it what it is propaganda against him worked, and yeah. like yeah. he was receiving phone calls on holidays, like being like, "Hey, are you having a good Christmas?" Because we're not, you know, like exactly, you yeah. know, and like that's what drove him to kill himself is that is that kind of stuff and like there's just one line about it where he says that the phone like the phone never stopped ringing but it's implied earlier in the film that the phone was kind of metaphorical because he answers it and has like a nightmare right like it is it is the way it's structured in the film implies that it was like a phone ringing in his dream that then like triggered this ptsd response from him when in reality it was actually happening to this man yeah he was getting phone calls, letters, the, the works. Yeah. 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 And, and yet just... 
it implies that everybody, all the other survivors loved him, which mm. clearly wasn't completely the picture. But yeah. yes, the, some of the survivors might have loved him, right. but there was all the ones who didn't survive and their families, mm. and it just doesn't tie the pieces together well. No, not at mm. all. Not at all. And that that's the frustrating thing about it all, too, because, like, it goes the Titanic route sometimes. It goes the Saving Private Ryan route sometimes. The ending is sort of the Schindler's List, the survivors putting the roses on the on the the is it the the grave of oscar schindler is that what it is right and so it like it it kind of tries to grab in all those things and all those examples from the films that honestly if you're making this movie you should probably use as your template right like on paper ripping off those three films probably a good idea if you're going to make the uss indianapolis movie but the way in which it does it is so inept that like it's just (laughs) frustrating instead of being like oh yeah that was the titanic part and like i get why you would do that or that was the schindler's list part i get why you would do that instead you're like that's Mm -hmm. the schindler's list part it was done way better in schindler's list i'd rather have just watched (laughs) schindler's list in this time you know um and so it's a very frustrating movie and historical inaccuracies exist in the film but then there's like bits and pieces like it gives you like little factoids that like are true and like it but never follows up those threads and it's like well <laughs> come on like i t- either tell me the story or don't you know like it just it, it feels so i don't know it's so wishy-washy in the what it's going for that it just doesn't work and the problem is no one goes back and double checks thing. I think mm-hmm. at the end when they are reporting about the number of people who died and the number of people who were picked up, the two figures added together is different to the total which appeared on the screen early on in the film. So You're it's right. just like, yeah. why don't you go and just double check your own facts? I mean, there may be some question mark about whether there was 1,195 or 111. 196 or whatever but whichever figure you're going to use at least be consistent in your own film right let's not change it during the film right, <laughs> right. yeah i mean even uh even quint gets the date wrong in his monologue right so oh, yeah you know. i mean he's out he's out by a month <laughs> by a month um, yeah is, it's, it's a lot which is why i i, I adapted it earlier on i appreciated mm-hmm. the historical accuracy yes. i i thought you, you know yes. Yes. commitment, <laughs> the commitment <laughs> also, to the Maybe Quint's uh, excuse was that he was absolutely bladdered when he was delivering that monologue. So he's like, I don't yeah. know, July, yep. June, whatever. Yeah, well, all the same. that They're also, all I think my, my theory on that is that they changed the date to be the, it, the have it be the anniversary of Alex, Alex Kittner's death. Because Alex mm-hmm. Kittner uh, is June the 29th, 1974. You're right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which I... Uh, I don't know. I I then got like <laughs> retrospectively mad at them not getting that date right in Jaws, <laughs> like mm-hmm. because this yeah. is obviously like the actual yeah, date because it actually happened. I checked it yeah. myself to yeah. yeah to make sure, and then I was just like, oh, that's such a it's such a straightforward thing. Like I get there was perhaps like an artistic reason to do it, mm-hmm. but when mm-hmm. you are talking about something that actually happened, I feel like dates are important, and like some yeah. people's first exposure to what the Indianapolis was. It's yours. It's mine. Oh, like, yeah. That's well, that's it. I, and I, I think part of the issue is here that, I mean, although obviously, as is shown in the film, the story of the Indianapolis was put on the front page of newspapers, albeit very selectively on which date to do it so people wouldn't pay yeah. attention. Largely, the story of the, largely <laughs> the story of the Indianapolis got brushed out of the way. I mean, when it shows McVeigh going to the courtroom for the court martial, my guess is that's not very accurate. I don't think there would have been quite so many people on the steps right. of the courthouse and yeah. all the rest of it. I think that's very much 
pandering to a cinema audience. My guess is that most people had not really heard of Indiana the Indianapolis until Doors came out. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. when this film says this is one of the worst Navy disasters of all time, it's just like, no, I'm pretty sure there are bigger ones, even in an American Navy, let alone British Navy, when, I mean, my yeah. namesake, the HMS Hoods, I mean, that was 1,400 people that were killed when that went up. The Bismarck was even more when that was destroyed. There are plenty other naval disasters, and I just don't think the Indianapolis is actually was on most people's knowledge or radar until mm. Quint. Yeah, and I, it's... Yeah, it's 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 a really good point to be honest, and also like the, I guess why it is important that 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 these things are right. I mean, I can yeah, I can forgive Jaws, but I guess speaking, speaking, of, of... speaking of Jaws, shall I yes. segue into my my rather nerdy extensive list of potential Jaws references? Some are a little yes. bit more tenuous than others. So <laughs> I love tenuous. Let's go. I, I go. Ready. I'll go through them. I think in the order they appear in the film. So. The first one is a character called Quinn, which I just think is too close yeah, to be Quinn yeah. to, to not yep. being deliberate. My most tenuous one comes at around about 25 minutes when they're come, a couple of guys are coming out of the ship, going about to go and deliver food up to the, um, to the captain and so on. You hear some guys in the background saying, swab it, swab it again, oh no. The vocals <laughs> of it really sound a little bit like when... Um, they turn the car ferry round. Someone says, oh, mm. no. Or something like that. It, it just sounded a little bit similar to me. Um, the engineer, Chief McWhirter, when he's explaining about sharks, which I'm sure was meant to be this film's attempt at being Quint. Yep. Type yes. Thing. Yeah. He he has a line where he goes, Jaws that can bend steel. Yeah. There's a very yep. obvious yep. pause between Jaws and that. Yep. Um, Beautiful. They then have soon after... The, I think this is after they've delivered the bomb onto Tinian, we see a view through shark jaws, like yeah. when the orca leaves. That scene immediately leads into a scene where people are arm wrestling and Quint yes. arm wrestling yeah. story. <laughs> yep. Um, we have some guys showing underwater colour pictures of a great white shark in a magazine which in those days wouldn't have been possible. <laughs> yeah. No underwater. I freaked this... out. I was so mad at that one. I was yeah. so mad. I, I, I hope you also spotted the error with that magazine when it reappears later on. It's floating in water later on. And they spelt um, Natural Geographic and yes. N-A-T-U-T-A-L. They couldn't even spell natural. They got a typing error on their own magazine. Incredible. Um, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we don't have any character called Herbie Robinson, but the first victim that the captain comes along appears to be bobbing in the water, and I was half expecting him to turn upside down. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first shark attacks just looks exactly like Bruce with the when he appears that first yep. time, just before um, Keith says, well, you're going to need a bigger boat. It's almost exactly the same angle. Mm -hmm. There's a bit where... After the first attack started happening, there's a guy who starts swimming off by himself. If you listen to the music, it almost sounds like the Jaws music. It's it like does. a cello or a bass yeah. or something going mm -hmm. on there. And there's this point, and again later in the film, we hear people screaming, get out of the water, and it just sounds like the chief saying it. Yeah. The up view of that swimmer when he's by himself, Chrissy yeah. or Alex. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, and then um, we're on Zoom, so I'm going to quickly do a share screen uh, a second <laughs> so you can see what I'm looking at here. This is doing the homework. I'm very excited yep. by this. Uh, hold on. I'm not yep. sure if it's sharing the right yep. thing. Uh, yep. yeah, Come yeah. on. I mean, it, it, this must be Quint, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's wearing Quint's bandana, yeah. the clothes. I'll put when, when you release the episode, I'll do a blog post and I'll put the image in so people Hell can yeah. see that as, as well. <laughs> um, and then straight after this guy appears, someone says they're ringing the dinner bell, hmm. just like Fourth of July reference yeah. and so on. Um, so yeah, and then yeah, there's a, there's a final reference of get out of the water, which sounds like chief. So. That's about 12 or 13 references to Jaws, <laughs> which maybe some of them are a bit tenuous. Yeah. A lot, yep. a lot of them as... seem very obvious. <laughs> not as tenuous as I was expecting, to be honest, okay. because the okay. one I have on my list that is not on I your missed list one. I need to watch this inc- film again. Oh it's, inc- <laughs> it's incredibly tenuous. But at one point, I think it's like right near the end where they're like trying to get them onto the onto the wings of the plane, and someone says like, "Watch those cleats," and I was like, "Oh, it's oh, like quite from Jaws." Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, a very I'm so Iron oh, I'm Chris. My hand is so... Go and watch it again as punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I um <laughs> so I I have none and the reason I have none is because I turned that part of my brain off on purpose because I was like if I start looking for Jaws references and find them in this movie I'm gonna be furious like you might have enjoyed the film what's that you might have enjoyed the film if yeah you that's true I guess yeah but I was just like it's gonna piss me off too much to like even dedicate the the brain power to this one like I was just like I'm not I'm not on purpose yeah. not doing this because I'm gonna be like it's gonna be any Jaws reference in this movie is gonna be way too cute and this is not a story yeah. that needs to be cute like sure. no <laughs> yeah. just just to say I mean this is not a link to Jaws it's a link to Spielberg I guess but and it, this is just one of those this is not a saying the film did it to copy or make a nod to Spielberg. This is just one of those historical things where the two things come, that come together. That plane that comes in, which they get on board at the end, which obviously this is historically accurate. It was that type of plane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the uh, PBY Catalina. That type of plane was then, after the war, converted into planes which could scoop up water for fighting forest fires. And that's the type of plane that we see at the beginning of Always, which you will be discussing in another episode. Yep. Mm, Spielberg film, I have not seen it. It's another one which I suspect my view on it is different to everybody else's view. Just in relation to that plane, um, in the film, it shows the plane landing on water and it's nice, smooth water. In reality, they had 12-foot waves. It completely killed the plane. And the USS uh, Cecil J. Doyle, which gets referred to as being one of the rescue mm-hmm. ships, right. after they got everybody off the plane, it then blew up the plane um, to yeah. make sure that it couldn't be taken oh, used smart. by anybody else. Yeah, so it it's, its remains will be down on the ocean floor with the Indianapolis now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I how far they drifted. Yeah. I I was kind of like I was expecting Jaws references in this and I wasn't mad that they that they were there. My favorite is that guy who is who is Quint. I didn't spot it. You had said to me, Chris, you were like, look out for the guy dressed as Quint. And I was mm-hmm. like, I was like staring at my laptop. I was trying to spot him, but I didn't. So I'm very grateful for that picture. Yeah, because uh, I mean, he, he comes and goes, me. which I think is why it works at one level. Because I right. think if they'd 
if yeah. you've been in it longer then people are saying why didn't you do more why didn't you actually even have herbie robinson the baseball mm-hmm. player and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. so i think it could have gone down that line and i mean i'm sure you're aware there's a book that someone has now written yeah, sort of the prequel of the book of quint and everything um which is i mean because i found out they were doing it i mean i'd originally thought i would try and do something like that and but mm. there's another book there's no point lots of people writing these books i'm looking forward to reading that and seeing how they put all these sort of different things together and so right yeah it's the it's the only jaws like spin-off modern thing that i would accept would be like mm. a quint prequel which basic i think is me asking for another indianapolis film but yes with quint, yes it is but with quint yeah, but only yeah it can't yeah, not be. only if it's it i will only accept it if it's ian shaw uh cast. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. i don't know anyone else who could do it and he is you've mm-hmm. not seen the um what's that shark, shark is broken is, the shark the shark is broken right. yeah i saw it twice in london incredible it was so so good it just ended so up and he's yeah he's so 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 good in it like uncanny and when he does like a, i don't think this is a spoiler i think i've told you already mj but like when he does the whole indianapolis speech at the end i was like weeping because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was like watching robert shaw do it like in real life it's so amazing like he hits every beat every look every pause it's like it was magic so, i can't i can't yeah. actually describe it in any other way it was incredible because the second time i saw it i also went to a special screening of jaws as well and he That's was right, there yeah. afterwards and handling questions and he was basically encouraging everybody to try and do their version of quint's speech which mm. obviously in the end yeah. i thought well if he's telling me to do so yeah. then i can only <laughs> i can only do what the boss says but i hadn't realized um until I was watching it the first time and I'd got the program that uh, Ian Shaw has um, appeared in one of my favourite docu-dramatisations. In mm. 2005, the BBC did a dramatisation documentary interviews with the actual people all about the bombing of Hiroshima. Mm. And Ian Shaw played Captain Tibbets and really looked like Captain Tibbets. So you've got, again, this triangular relationship about deliver the bomb, and Ian Shaw literally delivered the bomb in this dramatisation. It's it's uh, quite a bizarre little coincidence at one level. Yeah, I, I had me saying, like, I would like a, a Quint prequel that is, like, another <laughs> Indianapolis film. I'm glad it wasn't this film, um, mm-hmm. because be it just would have it would have just felt a little cheap i mean we can we can put two and two together and find the guy who's you know cosplaying as quint in the background and these other sort of like little references and nods and everything but it wasn't i was fully expecting there to be a like them be like quint i like i was i was expecting that and i think i would have hated that in this and that's precisely why Um, i turned off that part of my brain is i was like because I was like, if it goes, if it goes that far, like, yeah. I might shut this movie off. Like, I might have to just roll into the podcast and be like, I didn't finish this because fuck this thing. But um, I thankfully I didn't. But um, yeah, it was definitely like on my mind. I was like, I'm going to be on the lookout for this one specific thing. If they reference that character by name, I might be done with this film entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I was, I was glad they weren't. But that said, I do like the idea. <laughs> of a young Quint movie that is just him like bopping around doing like breaking his arm in arm wrestling competitions and like getting into fights at Nako Nolan's and Hell then he yeah. gets called up to the Indianapolis credits. <laughs> like, I, yeah. That's a very funny idea for a for 
<laughs> hey, we're gonna make Young yeah. Quinn. Oh, cool, Red. It's gonna be an Indianapolis movie. Nope. <laughs> it's gonna be about a guy who kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. I, I mean, but, I would. But, watch then, that, but, but maybe saying. then it would it would skip to the bit afterwards, showing him going to the reunions. Yeah, because I mean they're always. I mean, I mean this film sort of and the mission of the shark even more shows the reunions and I think I mean potentially for a, a daring director there's things to explore there because clearly these guys were not getting on well with each other whilst mm. they were suffering delirium so the idea that they sort of you could explore how did they put this behind them and move on yeah there are there are issues to explore there potentially which I think. Mm. You can start to do now when there are very soon going to be no survivors left. I think doing it while the survivors are alive is difficult. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. now there are issues there, which I think, again, these are the sort of things that need to be told. Because if we don't tell these sort of stories, people don't understand the horrors of war. Right. That they do think yeah. there really are winners. And once the war finished, everybody just goes back to their life as normal. It's just like, no, they carry this baggage forever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mm -hmm. mean, and even, you know, especially when it comes to the bomb. And I mentioned this in the Oppenheimer episode too. Like I don't really think I think about the bomb as much as I probably should in my day to day. And Oppenheimer got mm -hmm. me to be like, Oh yeah, no, like the world could be gone tomorrow. <laughs> like, it's... I mean, this is where I'm different because I come from a different generation Correct. growing up in the 1980s. Yeah. I honestly thought I would see a mushroom cloud one day. Yeah. It's just that was the world I was living yeah. in. And when I saw movies like um, the TV movie Threads, the American version, um, the day after, mm -hmm. I thought this this was my reality one day. And this is why like anti-war songs and like to do with nuclear war, two tries by Franco's The Hollywood, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. they just resonated. Yeah. But the modern generation, it need they need to have things like Oppenheimer just to sort of say, look, this is what. Yeah people like Putin or North Korea or whoever, this is what they could do. I mean, even our own countries, for heaven's sake, yeah. we've got nuclear weapons, wouldn't bet against them using it in particular circumstance. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that was the thing is like, I, I, the first time I saw that movie, I came out and was like, oh, wow, I don't think I've really thought about this as mm -hmm. an issue in the, the way yeah. I, like in the amount I should have at all. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and if it get, gets people to do that, then that's why that film is, a nine or a 10 out of 10 on imdb yeah yeah that's, absolutely that's, that's what it needed to do absolutely like i and i think that it is certain in a certain way like maybe this is just because i have sort of been living around not just this era but this specific bit of the era in this last week one yes uss indianapolis colon men of courage um <laughs> does feel uh like a half measure but it also does get me rethinking about those things that were already on my mind right like it did make me think about and like like we said when there's the the bit at the end the courtroom drama stuff like that's the part that interested me right where it was like no what's the aftermath of this you know what's the like how did this affect these people going forward right because there's um once again in that last podcast episode i was uh uh last podcast on the last episode i've been referencing like they talk about how some of the survivors like they had issues with even showering and bathing, you know, like, I, I mean, I would have rather have seen more of that kind of stuff to explore it as well. Right. Like mm -hmm. the, the sort of PTSD and aftermath that these men, right. These, like, I know we were making fun of the title cause it's unwieldy, but like these men of courage, like they did, like they had the, like, there was an iron will that these 316 men had 
to yeah. to to survive this like that's incredible but also like that shit doesn't leave you ever you know and, and like the survivor at the end who's like i don't like i would never like a shark like why would i like a shark and i was like yeah man like i fully like yeah i despite how much i love that animal like you were definitely well within your rights to hate those things like yep. <laughs> yeah 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 completely. I, everything that is like interesting about this story this film just doesn't give me enough of <laughs> yeah and that's why it's like it's quite a frustrating watch because uh, like i said earlier i can see the good film in there and i get it for maybe like 30 40 minutes right. and then the rest of it isn't that i mean like we've not the we've spoken we sort of spoken around the edges of it but like the romance plot i just i could not be less Dreadful. interested Terrible. in that story at all and like and this film tries to pin so much of its like emotional heft on that trio of characters and i don't care i don't care (laughs) it's the fact that one of the characters having seen the house goes in and says frankly my darling i don't give a damn it's just like yes and that's how i feel about this romance story (laughs) i do not give a damn right like so we we have not talked about the man the myth the legend himself nick cage um, oh good <laughs> yeah and you know he's in this i do love nicholas cage i do think he's one of our finest actors on Iron. i knew we were gonna have this problem here we go but like and the, like i think i think people have this idea of like nicholas cage does one thing and only one thing well which is over the top loud you know brash characters and he is great at that i love that no, but, I, I don't think he does those well. But anyway, sure. keep going. But, <laughs> don't let me stop you. Oh, no. um, like, that's like, that, is that my favorite type of cage? Absolutely. But he is very capable of of delivering a performance that should have been in this film. And he comes... What's that? Pig. Yeah, pig. 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 Pig's great. Pig. Joe leaving Las Vegas, despite the fact that the film is pretty broad. Like I think he engage. He gives um, uh, H. I. McDonough a lot of pathos in Raising Arizona. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he is capable of a lot of that, and we don't see him. We don't see him act until the end. Until the courtroom stuff happens. Like until after he is sleepwalking. He is phoning it walking through so... this film. He is so bored until he can do the courtroom yeah. stuff. And then the best, his best performance in the film, hands down, is the scene where he's talking to the Japanese sub-captain. Like, he's yeah. legit mm-hmm. great in that scene. And I was like, yeah. where was this mm-hmm. cage? Like, where was this guy? Like, I know you can do this. I watched you do it yeah. for the entirety of Pig. Like... It, you know and and so it's just like ah, man it's so frustrating to see him and know what he's capable of as someone who does like his particular brand of bullshit and be like i, I know where where is he hiding like where is he hiding in this and he does that from time to time and yes i know it's because of the tax money stuff but it he just shows up sometimes and just sleepwalks through something and it's just like man like this is why you people don't like you <laughs> like, yeah doesn't do himself any favors sometimes like this is very clear that this was in that period where Nicolas Cage was just taking paycheck Mm -hmm. movies because he owed a lot of money to the IRS uh you know respect the hustle you gotta do what you gotta do you gotta pay those you gotta pay those people back you gotta pay your bills right you know do do what you gotta do but yeah it's like this could this this character could have been played by 
anyone. Mm. Like, he's just completely sleepwalking through it until, like, right at the end. But by that point, I'm kind of just over it. The first time I remember being like, there he is, is when he comes down the stairs to talk with the captain about the trial. Yes. And I was like, there it is. Okay. All right. He finally showed up. (laughs) Like. At the end of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was just, I was enjoying watching Chris's um, facial expressions while you were talking about it. It was really funny to me. (laughs) I just, I mean, the funny thing is, there are only, there are three films where I, which I like, which have got Nicolas Cage in. And I think it's probably in spite of rather than because of. And the funny thing is, two of them are films which I know people don't like. This one being one of them, obviously, USS Indianapolis, colon, Men of Courage. Um, I love The Rock. The Rock's great. But I'm not sure. Sh- I'm still not sure I like it like Nicolas Cage in it, but I think The Rock is a great film. (laughs) And although I think they completely ruin the ending and there's lots of other problems with the film, much like this one, I didn't mind him in Captain Corelli's Mandolin. I've not seen that one. That's a Cage blind spot for me. So, I mean, I can imagine why people didn't like it and compared to the book, the original novel, there's lots of things wrong with that film. But actually, I went into that film expecting not to enjoy it because i'd really enjoy the book and not expecting to enjoy it because of nicholas cage <laughs> and actually i ended up i had to say yeah actually it wasn't bad other than they really did ruin the ending mm. i get it like i think i think he can be one of those like marmite actors because i think some people <laughs> just see a lot of the kind of like crazy stuff <laughs> what a, a great phrase say? what a great phrase have you not heard that no that's a british thing yeah <laughs> You either love him or hate him. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's like, because I think a lot of people, they think about crazy, crazy Nick Cage and he does kind of like give those performance and there are films that he is in that where the film is bad and he is also bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I didn't really come around to Nick Cage until Pig, I'll be honest, which is very late to, to come around to him. But I watched that film and I was like, God, damn this is good like he's so and good I, in that movie. i'm looking for i haven't i haven't seen like, that one maybe maybe i need to see uh, that one maybe maybe i'll be converted at that point and i'll be begging you to let me on the podcast to come and give apologies about i mean i don't think that cage. like i don't th- i don't think pig is going to turn you into a nick cage fan necessarily but i think it's it is a, but it's a good it's film. so good i think pig and joe are probably the two even if you cannot stomach the man those are worth watching because it is one much more subdued than his usual antics and legitimately just great 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 performance from him like even as as a fan yeah. like those are still like like i said as much as i love a mandy or a colorado space or a vampire's kiss like i understand there's like a broadness <laughs> to those right but mm-hmm. like there's a subtlety to joe and pig that is just unmatched and like he's so good in both of those movies and completely mm-hmm. overlooked for any awards love for pig in particular like he's oh he's so good in that movie <laughs> and 
and Pig works so well because it's Nick Cage. I've mentioned this before, but like there's so many moments in that film where you think it's going to go John Wick and you think it's going to go John Wick because it's Nick Cage. So you're like, when's things going to get nuts? Like you're like, he's about to like flip and go and start killing people because they took his pig and it never happens. And I don't know if that would have worked if Nick Cage wasn't the actor in it because you're expecting one thing. Yeah. And you don't get that at all. And that's why it's so brilliant. So like, that was the film where I was kind of like, oh, only he could have done that. It's also because of everything else. (laughs) I would say it's also the best film about grief and loss I've ever seen. Just like. It's exquisite. Yeah. Oh, I might watch Pig after this. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. <laughs> it's a great movie. Always, always yeah. in the mood. I've watched it once, but I think about it like a lot. I think about it all the time. <laughs> well, the yeah, there's a scene in that movie that legitimately like gave me a new outlook on life, which is like what I think of when I think of a good movie. Like, you know, everything everywhere all at once did that to me as well. Where it's just like I came out and I was like, I want to be a better person, you know. And like I came out of Pig and was like, <laughs> it's the 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 scene when he's talking to the the his former employee that owns the fancy schmancy restaurant and he has that Mm -hmm. line he says we don't get a lot of things to truly care about and i was just like oh Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh no oh no (laughs) like (laughs) we just go chronicle yeah (laughs) i remember seeing that with like three or four other people and we all came out we were like wow um you guys want to go get lunch (laughs) like we were just not i think yeah you're you're right like you're expecting him to go full cage and he never does but like what he does is so much more nuanced and the character is so much more empathetic and the theme of the film is about like empathy and grief and loss and overcoming that and pushing through it and what it looks like and how it's like nebulous but universal all at the same time like it is such a great 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 film and i know we've gotten off topic but Mm. it like i'm (laughs) so annoying about that movie because like it's so great (laughs) it really is and like the thing is like i I would have liked, I don't know if this is necessarily the film for it, but I would have liked that kind of nuance from him in this. I don't Mm. think it would have felt inappropriate because it's like, especially towards the end, had it have actually shown more of the interesting stuff, which is like, how did this impact these people? Mm. That would have given him the opportunity to have done stuff like that. But instead it was just like a, a... a clear paycheck film he do- he's not in it that much considering he is like the guy <laughs> like yeah. the main guy so yeah. it's clear biggest it's head on like, the poster right we've yeah like we we've only got him for however many days so we you know shoot all of his scenes quickly kind of thing mm-hmm. <clears throat> get them over with but yeah i don't know i just i i guess to sort of bring this in for a land but i i i wish this film was better <laughs> I wish it was yeah. better. Like, I bits I did like, a lot of things I didn't. Uh, I don't know if like war movie, shark movie, and courtroom drama are necessarily three things that work, especially in the way this film does them. I think it needed to like pick an angle and stick with it, and I think that angle should have been courtroom drama because you can still show the other stuff, but frustrating i think more than like bad or good (laughs) just kind of was Mm. like watching it and i was just like oh this this could have and should have been better i think that's my kind of closing thoughts on it but just just one one final thing on sharks and so on um this film predominantly shows the sharks as being great white sharks which again is probably a nod to jaws but that wouldn't have been the sharks 
as Quint himself points out, it was tiger, tiger probably yeah. white tip. Um, and just there's a continuity error in the film. We see when we see the captain get basically blown into the water rather than abandoned ship, a shark bumps him, which is also probably not accurate because they wouldn't have liked what was going on. They would have been yeah, no, they would have been long gone. But he gets bumped <laughs> by a shark basically by one of its fins but when he recalls that scene in the courtroom drama it shows the shark bumping him with his head yeah. so they they don't even use the same clip it's just like <laughs> bizarre yeah which is weird because it's yeah. more work to animate it both ways right like they just created more work for themselves rather than just inserting the necessary exactly yeah. it's it's it, it's just little things like that where it's just like sloppy again yeah um yeah. i'll my bring it in for a landing bit is going to be yeah. if you're interested in the story and you want like a cliff's notes version there is that last podcast on the last episode it is very good it is like i said a little jokier than i would like it to be um you know bordering on disrespectful but not as much as their usual so i don't like that podcast because of how jokey it's a true crime podcast and so they do a lot of like serial killer stuff and it gets too like it feels disrespectful to me but I'm not here to debate the ethics of true crime podcasting. That's a different <laughs> show entirely. Um, but that one is very good. Um, and that's like roughly an hour, hour and a half. Uh, there is, and this is their main source for that episode as well. There is a book called Indianapolis, which is by Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek, which is, I am looking at on my Audible app right now, 18 hours and 38 minutes long. So if you want a complete breakdown of this story, sort of start to finish of not just the rescue bits but the aftermath and the pre-stuff like it is i think it is a, a, an entire history of specifically the uss indianapolis and its role within the entirety of world war ii is um mm -hmm. the the vibe i got from them using that as their source in the last podcast um episode i bought it on audible i've yet to read it because i am i still have 15 hours left in the oppenheimer book um and i'm i'm gonna be starting that one short american prometheus so yeah that 26 hours ahead of me yeah mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it's good I, I, but i've it is read another book which is also huge but uh, yeah mm. yep so yeah that's my light reading list and then after that i've got close to shore the book about the new jersey shark attack <laughs> That's ex that's excellent. I I enjoyed reading that. Yeah, um, really yeah, it'll be a first and, time read for me. Um, but the, there's a couple of films which have been done with it. Um, there's one which you think you can find on YouTube, which it shows as a TV movie in terms of quality, but is actually quite watchable. Mm. And what are the um, just thinking of like other Indianapolis material? We've mentioned it, but Chris, what are the the other movie about this? And also, there's a documentary yeah. that you mentioned. Yeah. I think okay, well, so there's a 1991 TV movie called Mission of the Shark, which I think they've got the titles the wrong way around. <laughs> I think if they'd called this movie USS Indianapolis colon Mission of the Shark, given how much sharks appear in it, albeit the wrong sharks. Fair enough. The Mission of the Shark one, given the title, doesn't actually feature sharks very much. It focuses much more on the people and so on, which is probably one of the reasons why a lot of people prefer that one much more. I think that's got a much higher rating on IMDb. Um, but I think that one you can find out, like if you go search on the internet, you might be able to find. But that one, it there are times where the limited budget it had shows 
but I think it deals with the story very well. Also, there's a there are a number of documentaries about the Indianapolis, and particularly after its um, the wreckage was found, there was at least one or two documentaries made. The only one I managed to find on YouTube is called USS Indianapolis: The Final Resting Spot, which I will do a blog post about when this episode goes, or you can put it in your links. We can make sure people can find these various things as well. Um, yeah, but mm-hmm. I watched that the other day. It's really good because it. It shows the ship what it looks like now, but the the last 10 minutes is particularly good because it talks to survivors. It's got the Quint reference as well and so on. Um, And it just, it's it's done in quite a sensitive way, I thought, on the whole. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. this, this... Uh, if if one good thing is to come out of of watching USS Indianapolis colon Men of Courage, it's that it made me want to watch... um, all the documentaries about it because it's it's just something i'm just very i mean obviously because of jaws but like it's just something that i just think like more people need to know about and like it is you know as as awful as everything was that happened it's just such a like interesting story to read about like what actually happened and i am particularly interested into the kind of the after the event like what happened how did it affect these these people because like we get a little bit of that in Jaws because obviously like Quint is very much suffering with PTSD and, and survivor's mm-hmm. guilt, which is one of the things I find. I love everything about Jaws. One of the things I love most about Jaws is how that is woven through and how subtle it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I will be adding all of these things to my to read list and uh, the documentaries to my extensive watch list as well. But, but yeah, for most people, yeah. USS Indianapolis, colon, Men of Courage was not the film to watch, and after watching it, people might be wanting a colon Oscar. Pe- Never mind. <laughs> the colon Men of Courage thing is my. <laughs> so I just love so I just love reading a full title with a colon in it. Just always makes me laugh. Um, um, a, a documentary <laughs> that I just stumbled across uh, is called USS Indianapolis colon The Legacy, um, and it was actually directed by Sarah Vladek, who co-wrote the book that I just referenced. Um, and based on this preview, that one looks like it has pretty extensive interviews with survivors. Um, right. And I can't tell you the year it came out. Uh, let's see. Nope. Um, but it, yeah, it looks like that is probably the most thorough or the, the one that has the, um, the most footage of interviews with survivors in it. And then the one, yeah. uh, I saw one, I don't know if this is the same one. It's called USS Indianapolis, uh, the final chapter. And that's from 2019. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's the one I would been trying to track okay. down and is meant to be particularly good, but I could only, I could only find the final resting spot, which okay. is, I, I don't know whether they, the final chapter actually uses some of the stuff from the final resting spot. Cause what I can tell from the blurb, it seemed to be discussing some of the same things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe yeah. they. It used one documentary and then built upon it. Or I'm not yeah, sure how and then I found but... another one that was called USS Indianapolis Live from the Deep, but that looked like it, it was the so Live from the Deep and the final chapter were both PBS documentaries. Um, but the Live from the Deep one looked like it was specifically just an hour long tour of the wreckage with narration. Um, whereas, yeah, like... that was when they found mm-hmm. it. I think when they did like a TV special of them kind of like discovering the wreckage and stuff. Right. I was, yeah, I was reading about that one as well. So. Yeah, plenty, plenty of material uh, out there. Um, not so plentiful is the uh, tweet responses we had to this, because I'm guessing a lot of people have just not seen this film. So, or they yeah, forgot it enough. the instant um, they, the, the credits rolled. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or maybe it was the, the, the lateness of the tweet went out there. I oh, correct. <laughs> Come in for me again. <laughs> sorry, every sorry. time, every time I'm like, oh crap, we're recording today. And then in the morning, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> put the tweet out. <laughs> I know, I'm terrible at this. I'll do better. I'm sorry. Um, but one person <laughs> did get back to me in time um, at Eat More Chilies uh, said, meh great response not as good as 1991's mission of the shark there we go uh which was made with a fraction of the budget but is just better stacy keach made a more convincing mcveigh than nick cage um for another depiction of the sinking of uss indianapolis read ryan deco's new novel the book of quint there we go another mention of the the book of quint which mm-hmm. i gotta add that to my uh to my list also uh, of things I, to read I, I i try to avoid doing this because it feels so mansplaining but he prefers nick with a k if you're gonna write it nick <laughs> boo <laughs> uh, that's funny um uh thank you to uh people who reply to our tweets and also to our uh patrons as well so shout out to one of which is here right now thanks chris um shout out to uh tim eric blake andrew rachel katie mike callum cameron jack chris here he is and uncut gems podcast um thank you so much for yes. uh, all of your support chris not to put you on the spot but as a patreon what do you what do you get what is the the joyful uh, episodes that end sooner than they should <laughs> no <laughs> what is <Yes>. the... <laughs> we're fixing it <laughs> so if people can I, I mean i hope people have enjoyed this episode if we imagine this is a scale five in level of madness on a scale between one and ten Imagine the Patreon ones being at, I don't know, shall we go for a 777? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I nearly crashed my car. I was laughing so hard one time. Yeah, it was crazy some of the, the antics that go on in the Patreon episodes. Um, mm-hmm. I can't say, I mean, if with the current season, there have been times where it's just like, I didn't want to watch the film <laughs> that you were discussing. <laughs> But there have also been plenty of times where I didn't need to have watched the film to un- to enjoy the episode as well. But it, it's it's worth being a Patreon to listen to those episodes. But even if I didn't listen to those episodes, it's worth supporting you guys because you put in so much work with this series over the years and everything. And you've just done such a wonderful job. So it's worth supporting you just for that and sort of doing as a thank you. Stop. I'll pay you later. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, the idea is I pay you. I don't think you quite grasped how this got works. It, got it. Got it. Okay. That's how it yeah. works, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Sarah, we finally got an email back from that patron bit that we've been waiting on. Like, as Chris was talking, it was like he summoned that response. Spoken it into existence. Yep. It's happened. Um, <laughs> if you would like to come and... Um, Join the madness. I sometimes describe the Jules for a Minute patron as like LJ fam after dark. It just feels like things were just a bit more unhinged over there. After but... dark and after drinking or doing something extra yeah, I, well, as yeah, well. It's... it's not just that it's dark. It, it's just, it's, it's, for those of us who didn't get to experience the 60s, it's what I imagine the 60s were like for a lot of people. It's, uh, I compare it more to like locking the doors to the sanitarium from the outside. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we have a groovy time over there. Um, 
<laughs> yes, if you would like to come and join the chaos, uh, patreon.com forward slash jewels for a minute is where you can find that. $3, three pounds roughly ish uh, a month. And then you get all of the bonus content of which the next one is going to be Santa Jaws and a surprise, which we'll reveal sometime. Um, but yes, fun stuff happening over there. So uh, come and join us. Uh, Chris, thank you. This has been a delight to have you on once again. It's always great having you on. Um, but this was, I feel like I've learned stuff. I've got a really long watch how, list but... now, which is <laughs> which is great. Um, so yeah, yeah my, my, that... my, my watch list is now Santa Jules. That's what I'll be watching over my lunch for the next few days. I'm watching it, it tonight after be. I do As... my work. As Phil's correct. Um, Chris, anything that you would uh, like to plug and let people know where they can find you as well? So the easiest way to find me is on linktree forward slash hood CP. So that's H-O-O-D-C-P. You'll find a link there to my homepage, which is basically a blog site where I talk about things to do with my research, which is mostly main things related to Japan, the world's biggest plane crash, which happened in Japan in 1985, talking about disaster movies. Um, I'll do blog posts related to when I've been on an episode like this and links to related stories and so on, any photographs which are relevant. Um, but through the link tree, you can find me on Twitter and all the other various social media that I may use. Lovely. And always a good read. I always like looking out for little Jaws references and puns in uh, in your writing. <laughs> it always makes me happy. Just like, just feels like I try and get them in there whenever I can. Yeah, I, I and I recently obviously did a blog post uh, talking about how the Jaws ride in um, Japan is um, shutting down and we don't know whether it's temporary or permanent at the moment. I did not know that. The saddest of times. Are mm. they still going to do Jaws hot dogs though? That's the main... I suspect so. Hell yeah. yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> um, we have another podcast. Woo! Give that a plug as well. Uh, let's party with Marty. Colon, a Martin Scorsese <laughs> podcast. Um, Colon, <laughs> men of courage. Colon, men of courage. Yeah, over there we are going through... Um, every film directed by Martin Scorsese, as well as the companion films from his letterbox list. Uh, we've, uh, at time of recording this, two episodes there so far, so you can listen to our episode on Shadows, uh, which is John Cassavetti's film, and then Who's That Knocking At My Door, which is Scorsese's debut. Um, and yeah, lots of other great films that we'll be, we'll be covering over there. Chris, you watched Shadows, I believe, off of our I did watch Shadows, yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I did fantastic see you know we're just adding to people's watch list that's what we like to do but a lot of great films on there to check out some of which not that easy to find but we do our best yeah. we'll let you <laughs> let you know where you can find them as well um but you can find that uh wherever you find us you can also find let's party with marty if you want to give that a listen um you can find us uh, the podcast on twitter instagram threads blue sky all those places at jaws for a minute um, there you will find our link tree. That's got links to our coffee page. Thank you. We had a donation recently. Uh, thank you to Michael Crate for the donation on our coffee page. Uh, you'll also find the link to our Patreon and where you can buy merch as well. And Let's Party with Marty merch, uh, which is we put up recently. Uh, you can find us individually on Twitter as well. I'm at Sarah Buttery and MJ is at MJSmith891. If you don't use any of the social medias, you can contact us by email uh jaws for a minute at gmail.com is where you can do that i think that is everything what is our what is our next <clears throat> what is our next episode the Lady Gaga testing movie. my 
Oh, <laughs> damn it, that's one of my jokes I'd say for the podcast. <laughs> I was going to open it and be like, we're off the deep end, yeah, yeah, yeah. watch as we dive yeah, yeah, in. Yeah. We're talking about The Shallows. Yes, The Shallows is next. Great. <laughs> so until then, uh, and until next time, it's Jaws of Cook somewhere.